to me, and we already played the Nina Turner interview. We already played uh, Mayor Carmen Yulin Cruz, uh, that interview. So really, really enjoyed speaking with them both. Uh, I think they are great, great um, people to have on the campaign as far as strong voices, particularly these Bernie bro voices uh, who obviously are black and Latina and queer, uh, Tiffany Caban yesterday, and um, Bernie, and of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, he is showing that this Bernie bro nonsense was nonsense from the beginning. And yesterday, in the four years I've been covering rallies and things like that, was the most diverse crowd I've ever seen. And I think it was a conservative estimate when they said 25,000. To my eyes, it looked closer to the 30,000 when you factor in all the people that couldn't get into the rally. When you walked out of that rally, the streets were filled with people. So obviously, Bernie Sanders yesterday showed not only he was back, but he never went anywhere, really, even though the corporate media has tried to make him uh, appear like he's lost his mojo and he's going nowhere quickly. So my initial thoughts on yesterday's rally, Um, a couple things. Number one, what was really what really stood out to me about the rally yesterday was without even bringing up Elizabeth Warren's name was never mentioned once Nina Turner had aggressively kind of went after Elizabeth Warren without mentioning her name what really stood out to me yesterday was the stark contrast between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in terms of not just the multi, um, not just among the constituency, right? Elizabeth Warren has more support among people making over $50,000 a year, people with advanced degrees. Um, Right now she's doing very well among all people, but her core constituency is really the Hillary Clinton voter, which is that making more money well-educated. What you saw yesterday was not only the difference in terms of that multi-racial working class coalition that Bernie Sanders has in droves, which is what I think you really will need to defeat a fascist in Donald Trump, is what I really think you will need to defeat the racism that Donald Trump represents, the Islamophobia that Donald Trump represents, the anti-immigrant fervor that Donald Trump represents. But what what I really also think yesterday showed in contrast to Warren, and I'm being very specific in contrast to Warren, because as I've talked about in other live streams, clearly Biden is shrinking by the day. Um, And I think Biden honestly is on the verge of a political collapse. I don't wish him an actual collapse like physically, but politically speaking, Biden's in trouble. And we'll get to that later. Why I think it was such a stark contrast is because Elizabeth Warren is talking about structural change, big, bold, structural change. But she never really provides an answer for how you get that structural change without defeating the capitalist corporate pigs. She never really gave, gives an answer on how you get her version of a wealth tax passed, how you get her version of health care, whatever her version is, because one day it's Medicare for all. Now they're talking about her people are looking at other ideas for how to pay for Medicare for all. She never explains how do you deliver this structural change? It's just buzzwords, structural change, big, bold ideas. But how do you do this? Bernie Sanders, what every speaker was talking about yesterday is not only how to get elected 
and how you're going to win and how you could beat Donald Trump. But that's just step one. What they're talking about is how you actually defeat the corporate capitalist oligarchy. How you actually, as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was talking about, the pressure. It's no joke when you become a congresswoman or congressman or senator. How you defeat these entrenched systems, these entrenched forces, is not with educated white papers, is not with, you know, 50, 57 plans or whatever she has. It's through grassroots organizing that goes beyond just electoral politics. It's through grassroots organizing that goes beyond a primary or a general election. It's through galvanizing troops consistently and permanently to get the policies you want done by lighting an inferno under the anuses of the Mitch McConnells of the world and, sorry if this is graphic, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world. You don't get the ideas done that Elizabeth Warren says she's for without a massive movement behind you. And what I've seen, in fairness to Elizabeth Warren, is, yes, she's getting big crowds. Yes, she's doing very well in the polls. In many polls, she's listed as the front runner. You know what I think about a lot of these polls. I'm not going to be a polling truther, but a lot of these polls wildly undersample the very young people that were out there for Bernie Sanders yesterday. But what Elizabeth Warren doesn't explain and what her campaign supporters don't explain, how do you fundamentally present this structural change if you don't have an army, a movement of working class, multiracial working class, multi-generational working class that's older and younger behind you. You don't defeat somebody as, frankly, ex- an expert at propaganda, marketing, uh, and frankly, scary fascism at this point, what we're seeing from Donald Trump. You don't defeat that with some educated plans or some educated white papers. You gotta get people into the streets you got to get people out there to bang on doors, to knock on doors, to canvas. Not just during the election, not just on election day, but after you get elected. And I think what I saw yesterday, particularly what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was speaking about, was Bernie Sanders has that, and I have not seen Elizabeth Warren having that. What I've seen from Elizabeth Warren is instead of building that kind of politics and that kind of movement, I mean, this was reported weeks ago. She's been going around the country having hot tea with the Democratic Party leaders and the who's who of the establishment. That is the difference. In phone calls, text messages, and small gatherings before her rallies, as well as, on, in, as, well as in one-on-one meetings over hot tea at her Washington condominium, Ms. Warren is simultaneously courting and assuring Democratic town leaders, statewide officials, and the chiefs of the country's largest unions. The outreach is not just an effort to avoid the confrontational approach Mr. Sanders took in 2016 when he inveighed against party insiders and the committee itself, which he correctly believed was favoring Hillary Clinton. Ms. Warren is also trying to allay concerns among Democrats that as a progressive candidate proposing sweeping change, she may not have enough mainstream appeal to compete with President Trump in the general election. So Bernie Sanders rally yesterday, which again, I think 25,000 people was a conservative estimate. I think it's likely that it was more than that. I think what Bernie Sanders showed yesterday with 
obviously the assist of Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Tiffany Caban, Nina Turner, Carmen Yulin Cruz, the mayor of Puerto Rico, and Michael Moore. Bernie Sanders has awoken a sleeping beast, not Hillary Clinton's base, the base of working class people. And look where Hillary Clinton lost. She lost in the states with blue collar, white and black working class people. We talk about the working class like there's two working class, the white working class and then black people. Let me tell you something, because I've covered this for years. There's a whole lot of black people working at General Motors. So a whole lot of black people, working class people in Michigan and Wisconsin and Ohio and Pennsylvania. It's not two separate things. The working class consists of black people and white people. The media pretends like it's some different thing. It's not. And that multiracial working class coalition is the difference between Bernie and Warren. And something that does not show up in polls is the fact that Bernie Sanders' campaign is targeting people from that multiracial working class coalition that has never voted before, that has given up on politics, that don't even trust, that don't trust any politician. Those people are not called for surveys. Those people don't show up on polls. That is the, that, that is the group that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, galvanized in her campaign victory over Joe Crowley. Her campaign targeted specific pockets of Queens and Brooklyn that didn't traditionally vote, and we know what happened. So to me, it's one thing if you could get a big crowd. Elizabeth Warren has got big crowds. If you actually look into the polling, if you look really in depth of the polling, Elizabeth Warren's support is not hard and fast. A lot of her supporters have not made up their final decision, have not made their final decision, are uh, open to other candidates. I think what yesterday showed, unfortunately for the media who has pushed this narrative and pushed this message that Bernie Sanders' time was in 2016, he, she has taken a lot of his voters. I think what this showed not, was not that Bernie's back, it's that he really never left. It, sometimes in campaigns, there's ups, there's downs, the polls say what they say. But I think what that rally showed yesterday is there is the same working class uh, voters that came after Bernie Sanders in 2016 that are still with him. And I frankly think, particularly with Ocasio-Cortez now on board and going around the country, I think you might see a lot of, I don't think it was a lot. I think most of Elizabeth Warren's surge has not come from stealing Bernie Sanders supporters. It's come from uh, stealing Kamala Harris's voters because Kamala Harris has been hemorrhaging voters. I think that's where Elizabeth Warren has seen her biggest gains. But I do think for the portion of Bernie Sanders support that moved over to Elizabeth Warren, I do think you're going to start to see some of them reconsider because what you saw yesterday with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie, that is very, very different than what you see in Elizabeth Warren rally, talking about it, plans and big structural change and yada, 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 without any mechanism, without any force, without any movement behind it. It's easy for politicians to say this is a movement. Every single presidential candidate says this is a movement. It's another thing to actually show that movement. So I want to play a part of uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's speech that I found very powerful. Let's take a look. And we have to change the fundamental logic 
of a system and a politics that puts corporate profit ahead of all human and planetary costs. But when you rewind on that story, when I was a baby, my family relied on Planned Parenthood for prenatal care. Then, Bernie Sanders fought for me. When I was growing up, and education was being gutted for kids in the quote-unquote wrong zip code, Bernie Sanders fought for us. When I was a child, that relied on CHIP so that I could see a doctor, Bernie Sanders fought for a single-payer health care system. When the federal government decided to discriminate and abandon my queer family and friends, Bernie Sanders was putting his career on the line for us. When I was a waitress and when it was time for me to graduate college with student debt, Bernie Sanders was the, one of the only ones that said no person should be graduating with life-crushing debt at the start of their lives. Bernie Sanders did not do these things because they were popular. And that's what we need to remember. He did these, this, and he fought for these aims and these ends when they came at the highest political cost in America. No one wanted to question this system. And in 2016, he fundamentally changed politics in America. We right now have one of the best democratic presidential primary fields in a generation. And much of that is thanks to the work that Bernie Sanders has done in his entire life. United States Congress now. Now that I'm on that other side, I can tell you the halls of Congress are no joke. It is no joke to stand up to corporate power and established interests. It is no joke. It's not just about standing up and saying these things, but behind closed doors, your arm is twisted. The vice pressure of political pressure gets put on you. And every trick in the book, psychological and otherwise, is used to get us to abandon the working class. It is in, and it has been in that experience over the last nine months that I have grown to appreciate the enormous, consistent, and nonstop advocacy of Senator Bernie Sanders. 
Uh, there were so many things she said that I think are a uh, even Bernie Sanders um, surrogates so far. Uh, even Bernie Sanders surrogates so far. I don't even I don't think have been as eloquent as that. And I think without mentioning Elizabeth Warren's name, Congresswoman Ocasio Cortez drew such an amazing contrast between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. But before I get to that, I just want to say because we all know, I mean every single, I mean the 800 people watching right now would have went nuclear if Ocasio Cortez did not endorse Bernie Sanders, as would I. So we need to be clear: Congresswoman Ocasio Cortez deserves a huge amount of credit for sticking with her political convictions. Which, to be honest with you, what Ocasio Cortez did in endorsing Bernie Sanders now in endorsing him earlier than she was going to endorse him, in forfeiting whatever benefit she could have had by waiting and and leveraging her endorsement uh, for later on to get whatever more she wanted. What she did was what Elizabeth Warren failed to do in 2016, which is actually follow and and, and make a decision based on the courage of your conviction. Elizabeth Warren chose not to endorse Bernie Sanders because she doesn't follow the courage of her convictions. She follows same old, same old politics. That doesn't make her Lucifer. That doesn't make her as bad as Hillary Clinton. That doesn't make her as bad as Joe Biden. But it shows why she's no Bernie Sanders. And frankly, she's no Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. To me, the standout thing that Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren, uh, AOC was talking about um, again, it wasn't explicitly mentioning Elizabeth Warren, but I think clearly showed the difference. The difference between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, if you want real change, is Bernie Sanders does not, has never done or taken the easy road. Bernie Sanders has never uh, made decisions based on what was politically expedient. Bernie Sanders has not made decisions based on what polls well or what might get him a higher position, or what, you know, what matches whatever the political trends are. And for those that are more quote-unquote pragmatic, uh, for those who say, well, what the way Warren has practiced politics, which, by the way, my old colleague at the Young Turks, me and Emma debated this when I, when I was at the Young Turks, and her say, her answer, I don't know what her answer is now, But her answer back then was like, God forbid, Elizabeth Warren's a politician and she acts like a politician. Yeah, that's the problem. Nobody, nobody, I don't even think Bernie Sanders' strongest supporters would argue that Bernie Sanders, if elected president, would have to compromise on certain things. You don't get all the things you want all the time. This is not a parliamentary system. I I wish it was, frankly. Bernie Sanders would have to compromise. But there's a difference between making strategic compromises if elected and compromising your values all along the way to get elected. Because you don't get to compromise your values. You don't get to make backroom deals before election, which frankly is what Elizabeth Warren has been doing. What do you think it means that she's going around the country having hot tea with the who's who of the Democratic Party establishment? You think she, in those meetings she's telling them, like, too bad, it's my way or the highway, you're just going to have to go along? with what I want? No. She's signaling that she's willing to play ball. And the problem with that, if you are willing to play ball, 
if you are willing to make these many little compromises before even getting elected, that indicates that you are flexible, not in terms of compromising strategically. You are very flexible on what your convictions are. If Bernie Sanders was not in this race, we could have a different discussion. If he never would have, if he never would have run, maybe Elizabeth Warren would be a more palatable choice. But he is running. And I think what Ocasio-Cortez was saying right there, Bernie Sanders has been the consistent leader of the working class when it wasn't politically in vogue, when there was no Occupy Wall Street, when there was no 2016 election, when there was no anti-establishment fervor, when it wasn't cool, when he was left out of Congress, when he was a congressman, not a senator, when he was kind of, um, you know, banished to the side of the, wall, side of the room, you know, because, oh, he's so extreme. He spoke out and he stood out and he kept fighting. That is a leader. And frankly, those types of leaders have the best shot to defeat a fascist. I, I, I never got on board with calling Trump a fascist, but at this point, I have to call him what he is. Trump is acting like a dictator. Trump is every, every day doing things that dictators around the world do. You don't beat that with a bunch of hoity-toity plans. You beat that with 25 to 30,000 people out at a park on a Saturday. You beat that with, at this point, I believe it's somewhere between 1.2 and 1.3 million volunteers knocking on doors. You beat that with old people, young people, black people, brown people, white people, indigenous people, handicapped people, the whole gamut. That's how you win. Bernie Sanders has always, always fought for what he truly believes is needed, whether the, whether the seesaw, whether, uh, whether the momentum was there for it or not at that time. That is how leaders actually galvanize people to create change by pushing for things when it's not politically expedient, pushing for things when it doesn't seem politically possible, pushing for things when you don't see uh, the, the steps on the staircase or you don't see the road to get there, but leading on it and eventually people following. I'm sure Bernie Sanders at many points thought he was a lone soldier going into the woods but he fought for it anyway because it's the right thing. That's what I think is the difference between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And frankly, I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, there's a lot of Democratic Party establishment leaders who say Twitter's not real life. Well, I mean, Jen, correct me if I'm wrong, I think she has almost 6 million Twitter followers. Okay, you could say that's not real life, but she's got a pretty big megaphone on Twitter. Got a pretty big megaphone on social media. I don't know what her Instagram following is. So... Bernie's only chance, and I've said this from the beginning, Bernie's only chance is to bring out a record number of young people in these primaries. Well, you got somebody who's got a major microphone and her biggest supporter base is young people. Does anyone find it kind of coincidental that Hillary Clinton is raising all this ruckus when Ronan Farrow's new book shows that Hillary Clinton's henchmen were reaching out to Ronan Farrow while he was reporting in the reporting stages 
for his Pulitzer Prize winning story that exposed Harvey Weinstein as a rapist, Neanderthal, degenerate, horrible, horrible person. Anyone find it kind of coincidental that Hillary Clinton is throwing rockets and lobbing these insane smears at Tulsi Gabbard, which are, you know, totally capturing the news media when honestly, at the same time, it shows that Hillary Clinton, the, this female champion, this champion of women's rights, this champions of female reproductive uh, freedom, this champion of uh, sexual assault and Me Too victims, basically was trying to kill a story about her good friend and top donor and top fundraiser, Harvey Weinstein. Just saying. I'll read this a little bit from BuzzFeed. Journalist Ronan Farrow said the lack of support from powerful progressives such as Hillary Clinton, I don't know where BuzzFeed's getting that, that she's a progressive, uh, during his reporting on sexual assault allegations against Harvey Weinstein felt like a gut punch. Quote, it is an example of how power protects power, Farrow said in an appearance on BuzzFeed's program to discuss his new book, Catch and Kill. Bauer recalled that he was due to interview former Secretary of, Hillary, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton for his last book, War on Peace, The End of Diplomacy and the Decline of American Influence, when word got around political circles that he was working on a story about Harvey Weinstein. Quote, there was an apparent effort to cancel that interview after they raised concerns about the reporting on Weinstein. Weinstein was a powerful ally of Clinton's and had helped bundle and raise millions of Hollywood dollars for her. Quote, it was a personal moment of it was a personal moment of gut punch to me, Farrow said. People that I thought would support that kind of reporting were actually very leery of it. A spokesman for Clinton on Tuesday said there hadn't been anything scheduled at the time, so it couldn't have been canceled. Blah 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 blah. Other reports, by the way, show that Hillary Clinton's um, spokesperson, Nick Merrill, who was also uh, a member of her campaign uh, in twenty sixteen had reached out to Ronan Farrow while he was reporting on Harvey Weinstein, who has raped multiple women, who has essentially forced women who were trying to move up in the acting career to do him sexual favors to get ahead. Vile, vile, vile behavior, disgusting behavior, criminal behavior. Hillary Clinton's spokesperson reached out to Ronan Farrow saying, this story you're doing, yeah, it's a problem for us. So call me a cynical Susie when Hillary Clinton, with zero evidence, with zero anything behind it, is throwing out full-blown McCarthyism against Tulsi Gabbard and Jill Stein when it's exposed that basically her henchmen were trying to kill a story about a brutal, brutal rapist. I don't know. Seems very coincidental to me. So, obviously, uh, I showed these yesterday, uh, the other day, but I'll show them again. Obviously, Tulsi Gabbard came out swinging, said, Thank you, Hillary Clinton. You're the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption, and personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party for so long, have finally come out from behind the curtain. For the day I announced my candidacy, there has been a concerted campaign to destroy my reputation. We wondered who was behind it and why. Now we know it was always you through your proxies and powerful allies in the corporate media and war machine afraid of the threat I pose. It's now clear that this primary is between you and me. Don't cowardly hide behind your proxies. Join the race directly. 
I agree with everything Tulsi Gabbard said, besides the last one. Let's not urge Hillary Clinton to get back into the presidential race, shall we? I think we've had enough. Let's go after her for these disgraceful smears, but leave her in the woods. We don't need Hillary Clinton running for the 15th time for president. What is so ridiculous about this, and again, we're going to interview Jill Stein tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to also reach out to Tulsi Gabbard's campaign if she wants to talk. Um, What's so ridiculous about this is it continues to set up a default denialism for what's really going on in the country. So basically now, thanks to Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, the Democratic Party, Nancy, Chuck, all these people, now any any, uh, time a real movement is brewing, any time a real movement, whether it's for healthcare, whether it's for the anti-war movement, whether it's uh, the working class movement, whether it's Fight for 15, whatever it is, if the Democratic Party establishment, if the neoliberal order, if the military-industrial complex don't like it, you know how they deflect away from it? You know how they avoid talking about it? You know how their allies in the corporate media avoid talking about it or addressing it? You're a Russian asset. You might not know it, but you're a Russian asset. Quick, check her papers. Quick, do we need to start checking her, her phone logs? This is Literally what happened in the 1950s in this country and some of the 60s. Remember, Bobby Kennedy, who Jen loves, and I love Bobby Kennedy, he was originally a big, big anti-communist, and he was very, very much on this McCarthyite thing. Now, you don't have to agree with Tulsi Gabbard on her views on Syria. You don't have to agree with her views on military engagements. You could think she's wrong on Syria and 25 other things. That's okay. I don't agree with you. I don't agree with Tulsi Gabbard on everything. But when did it become okay in this country, even in this corporate media environment, to just, with no facts, with no anything, to smear not only a sitting congressman, but what has Hillary Clinton fought for in her life? Tulsi Gabbard just got back from another reserve tour abroad. She has fought for this country in Iraq. You are smearing a veteran. You are smearing someone who has seen the consequences of the wars you, Hillary Clinton, have fought for us to go into. You are smearing somebody that has seen the consequences and continues to see it with her uh, veterans who continue committing suicide, who continue sitting on the other side, uh, getting getting, uh, dis. Uh, being misserved and basically being left to fend for themselves by the VA, you are continuing to smear someone with no evidence of something, of one of the most vile charges you could make. She's working with the other. You're basically accusing her of treason. I mean, it's so bad what Hillary Clinton is doing. Even Chuck Todd challenged Uh, Who did he challenge? I think he challenged Pete Buttigieg or somebody this morning. And some of you say, well, what do you think, Jordan? Why is Bernie being silent? Should Bernie stick up for Tulsi? You know what? I don't want to be a hypocrite here. Um, I don't want to give Bernie a pass, but I also don't want to be too harsh on Bernie. I think Bernie Sanders should stick up for Tulsi Gabbard. However, you know, he did just have a heart attack. 
he is trying to restart his campaign and he could only do so many things at once, right? So should he stick up for Tulsi Gabbard while at the same time his campaign is trying to optically say we're back and focus on a major endorsement from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Michael Moore endorsing him, a major rally with the largest crowd of any candidate thus far? Should he step outside of those things, which require all of his campaign's focus and all of his focus, and now going to Iowa for a tour because he does need to improve in Iowa in the polls? Should he then pick a fight on behalf of Tulsi Gabbard? I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to say for the first hour of the live stream, Bernie does things when it's not politically uh, easy, when it's not politically expedient, and then say on the other side, oh, no, I don't think you should pick this fight. But to tell you the truth, no, I don't think you should pick this fight. In a perfect world, would I, would I like Bernie Sanders to stick up for Tulsi Gabbard? Yeah, I would. But I also want Bernie Sanders to win. And right or wrong, right or wrong, um, and obviously Bernie Sanders does not agree with Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders right now, if he made a big stink about Hillary Clinton, what she was saying about Tulsi Gabbard, and by the way, I mean, there's still a chance he might say something. Um, Obviously, it's going to antagonize the very people he's trying to pick off. So strategically right now, I don't think this is a fight Bernie Sanders should fight. Um, Frankly, I think You know, if we want to win, I'm not saying Bernie Sanders should sell his principles down the river. I'm not saying Bernie Sanders should not stick up for Tulsi Gabbard ever. But I got to be honest with you. I think he's got a lot to focus on right now. He is getting slaughtered by the entire corporate media apparatus. He's getting slaughtered by all of Wall Street, all of Big Pharma, all of Big Oil, all of Silicon Valley, all of Big Real Estate, and the entire media. I think it's a lot for him to then pick a fight on behalf of Tulsi Gabbard. That's what I truly believe. So some of you might not like that, but that's what I believe. Um, I don't think it's black or white. Uh, I would like to see him tweet out something. Uh, It doesn't need to be adversarial. I think it's simple to just say Tulsi Gabbard has served this country admirably. She's been a great congresswoman, and I support her. I think that would be nice and simple, uh, and I would love to see Bernie Sanders do that. But am I going to hammer him if he's not being strong enough? I know some people are. I'm not. I'm not. If you think that makes me a hypocrite, sorry. <laughs>